0: This is guns and butter.
1: a man with gun over there. If there's no one is talking about this. You know, I've seen this before. I mean, people they don't want to face the fact that we're living in a police state in consolidation. This particular bill, this particular aspect of the bill, has not been covered anywhere. We need to arouse public awareness that this move, this um, when you're talking about a military dictatorship and what are the -the on-the-ground effects of that kind of uh, state of governance, well, this is one of them, uh, the ability of the executive, you know, who's in control and out of control, to station troops anywhere he wants.
0: I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Frank Morales. Today's show, Bush Moves Toward Martial Law. Frank Morales is a New York City Lower East Side housing activist and squatter. He is a writer and researcher whose work has been published in Covert Action Quarterly, Global Outlook, and Midnight Notes. He is the author of Police State America, U.S. Military Civil Disturbance Planning, Frank Morales has written numerous articles, including Non-Lethal Warfare, Operation Garden Plot, The War at Home, Operations Other Than War, Military Operations in Urban Terrain, and his latest article from October 2006, Bush Moves Toward Martial Law. Frank Morales, welcome.
1: Well, it's good to be with you today, Bonnie.
0: Frank, I noticed that you've got a new article out dated October 26th. 2006, entitled Bush Moves Toward Martial Law. Well, that sounds like a very big subject and a continuation of that show we did three years ago. What moved you to write this article?
1: Well, I'd become aware through some information that I saw posted, I think it was Daily costs website, um, and then I stumbled upon a reference to the 2007 Defense Authorization Act in a Congressional Research Service report, which I cite in the article, which made reference to a section within the Defense Authorization Act 2007, which rewrites the Insurrection Act and makes it easier for the uh, president to station troops anywhere in the country outside of the wishes of the local governors and local law enforcement. So I was interested in learning more about that, so I went to the, the bill as it was formulated at that point prior to its signing, and indeed, Section 1076 in the bill, under the heading of Use of Armed Forces in Major Public Emergencies, allows for exactly that, um, The president determines that, uh, you know, domestic violence has occurred, and on his authority is capable of stationing troops. These would be guard troops and or military troops within uh, locales. Now, this would facilitate martial law to the extent that the placing of troops in certain regions would have the effect of, how should I say, creating a, a situation where local law enforcement guidelines and so on would no longer be applicable. In other words, the designation of martial law is quite specific in that the law enforcement is uh, revamped, reformed, overthrown, uh, uh, jettisoned in deference to a martial law situation. And if you station troops in an area, suddenly that region would be delineated as such. So in effect, the 2007 Defense Authorization Act, which was a bill, um, and as of October 17th, this past October 17th, President Bush signed this law, which uh, the very same day, by the way, that he signed the uh, Military Commissions Act, which got some, deservedly some, play within the left media and some in mainstream media. This would allow for detentions and tortures and so on and so forth, including so-called domestic terrorist activity, defined by, of course, the executive. But there has been next to no recognition of this other bill. People are still confusing uh, this martial law provision that I've been referring to as part of the Military Commissions Act. It's a separate law. The very same day that the Military Commissions Act was signed in a private ceremony, he signed this other bill, this other law, uh, into law the 2007 Defense Authorization Act, or the John Warner um, Defense Authorization Act, named after the illustrious head of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Um, and it's in, in that bill, which is now law, signed October 17th, Section 1076, uh, Use of Armed Forces in Major Public Emergencies and Related Sections of that, that part of the of the law, would allow for this kind of uh, move on the part of the executive, the stationing of troops in locales. Historically, this uh, activity, this uh, intervention on the part of the federal uh, military uh, entity was governed and prohibited through laws like the Posse Comitatus Act and tradition. Don't forget the American Revolution was fought in part around the issue of stationing troops, quartering troops within people's homes, and there's been a tradition of separating the military function from the police function. So this, this, uh, this law was one, uh, one swipe of the pen. Bush has obliterated these distinctions uh, upheld by laws like the Posse Comitatus Act. The Governor's Association, in its I think its last gathering, voted unanimously in opposition to this provision. At that stage, it was in a bill form. Um, The U.S. Army Times, I think it is, and some of the other military publications also saw fit to denounce this provision insofar as it's moved towards turning military entity into a police and law enforcement entity. And there are significant sectors within the military and the police that are opposed to this uh, collapsing of the divide, so to speak, uh, an increasing symbiosis between the military and the police function. Um, So this was uh, signed by Bush on October 17th, and this is complemented, and I bring this out in the piece, by an earlier uh, January 2006 announcement by Kellogg, Brown, and Root in the Department of Homeland Defense, which had contracted with uh, KBR, Department of Homeland Defense, had contract with KBR to uh, construct what are referred to as uh, temporary detention and processing facilities. It was announced January 24, 2006. It's a contingency contract. In other words, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, if we need it, you build them. Um, Daniel Ellsberg says that almost certainly this is a preparation for a roundup after some kind of, uh, you know, the, the next 9-11 or what have you. But this $385 million contract from the Department of Homeland Security to KBR this past January, coupled with Bush's more recent October move towards the use of troops outside of the will of uh, local governors, who it says quite clearly in the, in the law, um, it doesn't matter if they're unwilling or unable to uh, provide troops to a public emergency or so on. The executive can go around them. This is unprecedented. So that coupled with this move towards the creation of temporary detention facilities, which is is real. I mean, this $385 million contract is real. And I provide some references for this because, you know, there's been a lot of paranoia around this detention facility notion. But as I pointed out in the past, the uh, Army Field Manual on Civil Disturbance, which governs U.S. Army activity vis-a-vis protest in this country, which people can look up, Field Manual nineteen fifteen. It's recently re rewritten, redrafted, what have you. Calls for the use of temporary detention facilities portable that can be set up. So they've been they've been on this and even designates uh, color coding various um types of prisoners and dissenters, presumably, you know, uh, we'll put the anarchists over here and the the eco uh, people over there. I mean, it's hard to say, but, uh, you know, it's it's all set forth there. So this detention idea, you know, the bottom line, military operations directed against the American people under the cover of law enforcement, civil disturbance. You know, now we're, we see, you know, the counterterrorism, but all rationalizations and justifications for applying a more direct, hands-on uh, approach, if you will, to the requirements of the corporate agenda at home to allow for the rounding up, detention, uh, suppression of those who who dissent from the Bush agenda, whether it's, uh, it's foreign and or its domestic agenda. So the piece basically um, talks about a bill that's become law, and this law exists now, and There have been some moves around the country towards repealing, particularly this section of the bill. The bill is the annual broad $500 billion plus, uh, how should I say, giveaway um, financing of Pentagon operations, including um, emergency supplements, whatever they they call them, for Iraq and Afghanistan and so on. It's buried in that bill. But that particular section, Section 1076, which allows Bush to station troops in this way, um, which is very dangerous, it has spawned some repeal movements. It's important to note that, and I I point this out in the piece, that the reaction to this, though muted and virtually uncovered in the mainstream press, I don't think there's been a mainstream uh, report on this. I mean, our own local newspapers here, The Villager and some of the papers on the Lower East Side, community papers have picked up on it. But to my knowledge, there's virtually no uh, no newsprint um, organizations around the country have picked this up, although, you know, it's it's uh, it's out there now. Um, but Senator Pat Leahy from Vermont, whom I quote extensively in his press releases leading up to the, you know, during the formation of this bill, its revision, uh, the going back and forth... Um, People pushing the, the governors' associations say no. This section needs to be pulled out. Um, he refers quite literally, and uh, I thought it was important for people to to see that this phrase "martial law" is not something that um, simply something I might use. Although literally, as I said, it means just a, a designation for an area in which there are troops involved, and you can imagine you have troops, you have police, and so on. Well, what are they? What laws are governing this situation? Well, that's what I mean by martial law situation. It's, it's not that the administration, whether it's a Military Commissions Act or this particular act, is trying to overthrow local judicial uh, standards. Whether it's um, the use of military and so on, like Hitler. And not to sound um, uh, provocative, uh, there's a great book called Hitler's Justice by Mueller. Um, which talks about this, um, they create parallel systems, the military tribunals, uh, etc. cetera. Um, in this case, you create a martial law situation by stationing troops in an area, and it supplants uh, local law enforcement protocols and allows for, um, for instance, if these troops are involved in a domestic uh, protest situation, people are detained, so to speak, um, which in law enforcement terms might the phrase might be arrested, their trials and the judicial proceedings could quite possibly be shifted over to other kinds of courts. um, You know, I would suggest arbitrarily, um, extra-legally created in order to try um, political dissenters. So, I mean, it's very important that we, we nip this in the bud. Um, and we stopped this action, but it's, it's people like Leahy who come right out and say, here's uh, one of his quotes, is uh, we certainly do not need to make it easier for presidents to declare martial law, stated the, the senator. Invoking the Insurrection Act and using the military for law enforcement activities goes against some of the central tenets of our democracy. One can easily envision governors and mayors in charge of an emergency, having to constantly look over their shoulders while someone who has never visited their communities gives the orders. And a few weeks later, when it was clear, I think this is late September, that this bill was was going to go ahead, this section of the bill was was going to go ahead because the Pentagon and the president wanted it, Um, he stated that he had grave reservations about certain provisions of the fiscal year 2007 defense authorization bill conference report, the language of which he said, quotes, solid, longstanding standing posse statutes that limit the military's involvement in law enforcement, thereby making it easier for the president to declare martial law, end of quote. He stated that this had been, quote, slipped in as a rider with little study, while other congressional committees with jurisdiction over these matters had no chance to comment, let alone hold hearings on these proposals.
0: You know, he goes
1: on to state that the implications of changing the posse Comitatus act are enormous. There is good reason, he said, for the constructive friction, which I think is a nice phrase, um, in existing law when it comes to martial law declarations. Using the military for law enforcement goes against one of the founding tenets of our democracy. We fail our Constitution, neglecting the rights of the states, when we make it easier for the president to declare martial law and trample on local and state sovereignty. What we're looking at here is uh, historic and... uh, ominous, I would say, reworking of the Insurrection Act towards a more overt collapsing of the, the divide between the military and the police, which is a telltale uh, throughout history sign of a police state. When you, uh, you lose the distinction between the two, that is precisely the kind of situation that that is emerging. We see this as well in terms of the way in which the Pentagon has orchestrated and rationalized its so-called war on terror. The concept of unlawful combatants gets at it as well. There you have the term unlawful, which is a term that would be more appropriate within a law enforcement context, linked to combatant, which is a term that would be more generally understood to be within a, within a war situation combined so this symbiosis is the uh, move towards this kind of collapse is, is effective both in terms of foreign agenda, military agenda, and as well as domestically.
0: I'm speaking with writer and researcher Frank Morales. Today's show, Bush Moves Toward Martial Law. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You know, Frank, I'd like to speak in more depth about this uh, designation of uh, citizens and non-citizens as unlawful enemy combatants when we discuss the Military Commissions Act of 2006, which you have pointed out has been more in the press and people are more familiar with. Right. Now... In your article, Bushmoose Toward Martial Law, you point out that it's this John Warner Defense Authorization Act of 2007 which changes parts of the Insurrection Act. What is the Insurrection Act, and when does it date to?
1: Well, it dates back uh, at least to the latter part of the uh, 19th century, 1878, Posse Comitatus Act. Um, I think it actually goes back as far as 1807, These provisions run parallel with the formation of our constitutional government, allowing for the federal authorities to intervene in the event of a a civil disturbance, if you will, that threatens the integrity of the federal government and governance in general, and has been historically, um, not always, but historically utilized to deal with threats the government um, needed to step in and utilize uh, federal troops and so forth in order to guarantee the integrity of the government. Um, there are various instances in which this has taken place. Um, you have situations, for instance, in, in the South uh, during the uh, Brown versus the Board of Ed and the Civil Rights Movement in which federal troops were stationed outside of schools to guarantee the right of African-American people, to enter into those schools and so on. I think maybe many listeners remember those, and probably very many might actually support that. Um, so there is there have been these kinds of tensions, uh, as the uh, Leahy points out, to kind of constructive friction between law enforcement and, and military operations domestically. So the Insurrection Act allows for the executive... To uh, under the historically, with the permission, and this is the key point here, and this is the key change within the uh, 2007 Defense Authorization Act, with the acquiescence of local governors. So, there's an attempt to balance federal intervention requirements around insurrection and state sovereignty in such a way that, that uh, you know, each maintains a certain integrity within, within that particular moment of uh, conflict. And so on, but um, what this law does now is to, to obliterate the right of the states to object to this direct federal intervention with troops. And this martial law, disability takes on added significance of a negative sort when it's coupled against the kinds of contracts that I mentioned with uh, KBR and, and Homeland Security to build detention. Temporary detention facilities when we have a president who has acted from many points of view extra legally in a whole host of areas uh, nSA spying torture, you know rationalizing after the fact with his uh, his legal eagles uh, Gonzales and some of the people who are less known behind Gonzales and some of these others. It's more significant, it's more dangerous within the Defense Authorization Act as well. This 2007 Defense Authorization Act, passed into law October 17th, with virtually no mention in in the mainstream press, is a section, I don't have the section in front of me here, but it's the section that deals with what is referred to as Homeland Defense Technology Transfer Agreements. And that's fancy language for the arming of local troops and police through military channels, in a sense, the icing on the cake, so to speak, if you think in simple terms, towards creating a legal arrangement for the stationing of troops, creating detention centers in certain areas, quote-unquote temporary processing facilities, and so on. This allows for the transfer, according to the language here, would authorize the Secretary of Defense, this is uh, now law, to create a Homeland Defense Technology Transfer Consortium to improve the effectiveness of the DOD processes for deploying relevant DOD technology Okay, to federal, state, and local first responders. They may be talking about... um, benign technology, but we're talking about the Pentagon and law enforcement. We're talking about weapons, particularly non-lethal weapons, so that the transitions are smoother. In, For instance, in Seattle in 1999, there was some confusion when uh, that law enforcement people ran out of uh, some of their CS and CN gases, and it was problematical, and they had to go through one of the private contractors to secure it and they had to fly to, I think it was Wyoming, to pick up the relevant supplies, so they're always learning their new lessons, and one of the lessons they 're learning now, which is part of a part of what I would suggest is a police state a consolidation of the police state, is to further arm and equip these local so called local first responders, law enforcement people, along with military people. So this this bill allows for these so-called technology transfers so that weapons that are being used in Iraq right now, for instance, the uh, acoustical devices, which are, these are all crowd dispersal weapons. Because remember, the suppression of dissent, the suppression of protests, the intervention into so-called public emergencies, the use of the armed forces in major public emergencies. They're not talking about, a foreign-occupying force in a the theater of war here. We're talking about the American the terrain within North America as becoming the theater for military operations. Those military operations need to be defined in such a way as public emergencies and so on, um, such that the Pentagon can rationalize this intervention. The kinds of weapons that are brought to bear, again, are not stinger missiles. They're acoustical crowd-dispersal weapons, Directed energy weapons. There's a microwave weapon that's been field tested for quite some time now, which I've written about in the past. Which heats skin. It's uh, it's designed to disperse crowds. These weapons are directed against non-combatants, or to use the term of a choice, unlawful combatants. They're not uh, geared towards use in in warfare. You know, unless we define warfare as warfare against the American conscience, but uh, that's the kind of technology that these technology transfer agreements now made uh, formal in the 2007 Defense Act. And that's what it allows for. So it's weapons that are being that would be transferred and capabilities and training from the Pentagon to local law enforcement, whether it be FBI, uh, CIA people, which are now more prevalent on the local law enforcement, on the ground in the U.S., to combat, so to speak, domestic dissent, again, under the cover of uh, counterterror, under the cover of, quote, public emergencies, as written in the bill, and the law. So, I mean, the fact that the American people have been kept in the dark, as Leahy points out, you know, slipped in, uh, this stuff was slipped in in the dead of night, I think is is something that in terms of our immediate response we need to get the word out about this because if we don't we're liable to be in a situation where you know at a protest not only will we be looking at the construction of some sort of detention facilities you know out in the in the hinterland waiting for it to process uh, political dissenters not only will we be confronted with the latest in so-called non-lethal technology, which is directed at us, because uh, that's what that's all about. But uh, we'll also be you know, looking at the uh, possibility of being tried within newly reformed parallel institutions, newly created parallel institutions, as in the case of Nazi Germany, separate courts for dissenters separate courts for those who, quote, threaten military facilities, people who maybe go to Fort Benning or or um, School of the Americas, uh, protest-type uh, movements around the country. Or, you know, if you go to a Carlisle headquarters here in New York or in other places, these kinds of private institutions, because the Pentagon Incorporated has is becoming a private institution in some respects private troops and private uh, contractors and so on, they could also be designated as covered under those kinds of protections that allow for military ins- installations to, you know, move in much more draconian way when once threatened with nothing other than civil disobedience or protest or what have you. We can't wait for that. I think now we need to move preemptively to stop uh, their ability to Preempt Arab dissent, and uh, you know, create a lockdown situation. And I think there's a number of things. I mean, we can, we need to move towards repealing Section 1076 in this law that I point out in the uh, paper. We need to recodify comitatus like statutes on the local level. We need to create laws, whether it's at the city council level, at the state level, and municipal level which guarantee and delineate a strict separation. And by delineate, I mean arming orders, rules of engagement. What are the functions of the military, you know, within the state of uh, California, Uh, National Guard? What are the functions of uh, the police? How do we delineate the differences between the two? What are the uh, proper kinds of technology transfers, weapons transfers? What kinds of weapons should be disallowed? Uh, why should we allow the political agenda um, of the Bush administration and the corporate elite that um, you know squanders the bulk of the wealth in this country for their own interests and their own their own greed? Why should we allow that to happen? Why can't we intervene on on these public contracts that police departments you know enter into with these so-called non-lethal defense contractors? The non-lethal weapons industry is booming as, you know, concurrent with the suppression of dissent, the attempt to suppress dissent around the country. One doomed to fail, I might add, given the, the overwhelming uh, responses that we see even the electoral arena. That recently we've seen that people have had it, and they know that. So there's an attempt to put the pieces in order to further repress our ability to dissent.
0: I'm speaking with writer and researcher Frank Morales. Today's show... Bush moves toward martial law. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter.
1: So there are a number of things that people can do. Recodifying posse comitatus uh, locally, I think, is very important. Disallow the police to function as the military and the military to function as the police. Governors noting their unanimous opposition to this provision in the Defense Authorization Act to station troops outside of their acquiescence need to move on a state level to create barriers to this potential, to this this desire on the part of the executive to do this. There are lots of things that people can do to deal with repression of this sort. Don't forget, um, repression is not abstract. It takes place in actual, on the ground, so to speak. Um, and it's on the ground that we can combat it. I'm talking about preemptively analyzing Know, what it is that we can do to strip local law enforcement of militarized elements, whether it's the weaponry, the training, um, you know, mandating that our police are not, uh, you know, uh, special operations soldiers with a, a thin veneer of law enforcement. Um, getting inside of these institutions on a local level, whether it's state, national guard organizations, what kinds of things do they? have going vis-a-vis so-called civil support missions and disaster relief um, and so on. Obviously, we could be a lot more effective in terms of disaster relief. And, you know, when Katrina occurred, the Army Times had a front-page story which referred to uh, the, the combat operations in Little Somalia in reference to a New Orleans. They saw New Orleans as... As a civil disturbance mission, it was characterized in military terms, not as a disaster relief, but as a military operation, replete with racist overtones, and uh, and this kind of approach. From my perspective, and you know, I don't go into the whole situation in New Orleans. Maybe we can do another show on on that. This is an operation that is designed, I think, to. Uh, lead towards the goal of creating a regional so-called homeland defense, counterterrorism base of operations in that part of the Gulf. Um, And whether or not, you know, they seized the opportunity concurrent with the the natural disaster, Katrina, and how that all broke down, um, I can only suggest that it's interesting to me that some months earlier, I don't remember the exact timetable but some months early before Katrina there was a large um, Gulf Coast Military Expo in New Orleans in which the whole issue of homeland defense was being discussed and how to plug what they referred to as land gaps in the in the Gulf area. Now they weren't talking about homeland defense and this included major players within within the Pentagon domestic operations and Northcom local Military people in the in the area don 't forget new orleans is a that area is is very populated by the likes of Raytheon and Boeing and so on and so forth it 's the only area in the country where where the super tanker crude comes in it 's the only place the pipelines run right underneath the the uh, the various wards in in New Orleans that were so heavily damaged. The discourse around the need to protect the oil. Was uh, was proliferating prior to Katrina. Governor Blanco gave a speech saying, 18 miles off the shore, we have these. They're bombing these installations in Iraq. We need to do something. We need to create a regional homeland defense security apparatus right here in the Gulf." Um, did Katrina facilitate the clearing away of uh, of the land um, in order to facilitate this? I think the future we may see that. Uh, from my perspective, I think uh, that's what we will see. I think a lot of what um, happened there didn't happen as a result of uh, what's the word like it, with 9/11 uh,
0: negligence
1: negligence and uh, the inability to find I think it was a plan um, not to respond uh, effectively. It was a displacement strategy um, whose goal has economic motives to disney Disnify the area kinds of motives and, and gentrifying and all that. That's true. That's always there. But I think the the broader plan, the stationing of uh, Kathleen Fragos Townsend, who was the national security advisor to Bush as the point person to oversee the developments and the so-called reconstruction in New Orleans is, is the key signal that um, it ain't about... Well, we know it's not about um, helping the people who were displaced there in that, that it's, a, it's viewed as a counter-terrorist strategy um, at this point, and, uh, and oil. And that's what's going on in that region. And I think what we'll see there is more in keeping with that. But um, getting back to the other, I think you know when you, when you start to allow for military operations domestically. Well, it was great to have the guard here in New Orleans. You know, they're the ones I heard. I hear people say this: they're the ones who were able to keep the inept police department, who either went AWOL or were involved in criminal activity, and keep those vicious gangs from uh, raping and looting, and you know, and so on. Um, that's uh, rationalizing our. You know, it's they give us the tools. and We start building our own our own prisons to, to put ourselves in them. Um, we have to. We have to oppose the increasing militarization of America, of our law enforcement, of our judicial systems in particular, because those are going to be the institutions that will help to facilitate a kind of control apparatus on the part of an elite that can't carry out its will, uh, whether it's to you know rape and plunder abroad um, and so on, Unless it has the ability to suppress, control, detain, imprison, frighten the domestic population through uh, the so-called terrorist events, um, whoever orchestrates them. Um, I personally don't believe that nine eleven was the result of of a small band of uh, hijackers from from Saudi Arabia. I think there was more to it than that, but. Uh, Regardless, once these events take place, it allows for this apparatus, this detention, these uh, new judicial forms, this weapons technology transfers to impact directly on us and our neighbors. Sure, they'll go after Muslims first, if we see it in those terms, although the, the KBR contract calls for the creation of these temporary detention facilities in the event of an immigration emergency. So we're also talking about uh, from the South. Don't forget that um, these detention facilities for immigration emergencies from the South, particularly Mexico, Central America, and further South, has a history in Rex 84 uh, during the Reagan administration when similar detention facilities with a similar potential clientele, namely Latinos from, from the South, were the target. The language is very similar, But the context is quite different now. Uh, NORTHCOM, uh, which is a domestic military command, uh, instituted in 2002, again, unprecedented, uh, the breaking down of uh, separation of military and law enforcement within America. One of the prime uh, examples of this was the creation of NORTHCOM, uh, the Northern Command, based in Colorado. Colorado Springs was set up to, quote-unquote, assist law enforcement. This is a domestic military command that's linked up with NORAD and can draw from any of the other military commands to its as, quote-unquote assist law enforcement.
0: I wanted to ask you with regard to New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina, I understand that the governor of Louisiana was urged by the President of the United States, Bush, to let go of her authority over the Louisiana National Guard. Mm -hmm. Now, the feds wanted to take over the local and state law enforcement, and I guess she didn't quite go for that. Right? Was this move on the part of the feds, would that have fallen within this new Defense Authorization Act of 2007?
1: Yeah, this law basically allows for that. Bush's request to Governor Blanco predates the signing of this law, so at this point, According to Bush, according to this law, he doesn't have to ask her now. Um,
0: That's what I was wondering.
1: And they were doing that under the cover of suggesting that um, that the Guard could have been more effective if it wasn't for the slow-moving Governor Blanco and so forth. That state apparatus moves too slowly, and the Pentagon is so much more efficient at moving if it has a, a free reign. These kinds of trial balloons, these these rationalizations of military involvement in domestic law enforcement, for instance, in Washington, D.C., with the, with the sniper, the Pentagon lent a, a plane to do some surveillance, and they made a big deal of that. And what about posse comitatus? Well, you know, it's it was a good thing that uh, we were able to do this. It's kind of PR. Um, well, maybe we need the military more on our street corners, because they're the most uh, well-organized, they're the most trustworthy and you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're working very hard to create the notion within the mind of the American public that uh, having the military um, out front your door is the best thing for you. And it's actually the worst. And it runs the military institution, the military entity, you know, within a domestic context is synathema to democratic processes. It creates judicial arrangements. It uh, completely undermines the ability of law enforcement to function as law enforcement because it supplants it. It's a police state. So that move on the part of Bush vis-à-vis Governor Blanco was exactly that, was to say, well, you, couldn't, you, you were an obstacle to our ability to, uh, to move the troops in a timely manner. As I pointed out, they were articulating this thing as a civil disturbance mission, as a combat mission. You know, the, the language, the Little Somalia and so forth, it's shocking. So it was clearly uh, seen in that sense. FEMA, which has been, in terms of New Orleans, highlighted as you know the number one incompetent agency, again, it is a red herring. It's not about incompetency. That's what they want you to think. FEMA was very competent in contracting with Blackwater, a private mercenary operation. Um, you know, Katrina hadn't even hit yet, and uh, they had contracted with them. And, uh, you know, they weren't contracted with Blackwater to do disaster relief. It was about lockdown. It was about, you know, we're turning buses away. We're going to have some chaos here. We have to get as many of these people over over here, and then we're going to ship them out this way. FEMA is about, in that context, their M.O. in New Orleans was to handle the whole displacement, the logistics of displacement. How do we bus out as many people as we can, as far away as we can? This sounds uh, maybe oversimplistic and so on, but that's exactly what they did. Um, you talk talking 40 states. People just don't wander there. The logistics of displacement, they could have been rehoused in that uh, area, but the idea was to displace them. The idea was to disperse them, disempower the people, create zones that, again, according to, you know, the the stationing of Kathleen Pregos Townsend and some other moves, this Gulf Coast Military Expo, which preceded uh, Katrina, where they were discussing the need for a regional homeland security base in that area. It's the port, the only port where the crude oil comes in, the danger of terrorist threats and so forth and so on. FEMA carried out its tasks quite effectively. In that respect, FEMA oversees This shelter system around the country for so called homeless people. Homeless people are dispersed, poor people dispersed from urban centers, which represent when people are concentrated in these urban centers and begin to organize a threat. They learn this from the 60s and uh, dispersal strategies as a form of counterinsurgency against populations such as the population in New Orleans. Don't forget one of the largest peace marches against the war in Iraq was in New Orleans. And uh, the white supremacist elements within the uh, the Bush administration and within the elite in general, I think they're obvious this is longstanding. Um, so what FEMA did there was exactly in keeping with their historical role in the area of disbursement and so forth, which, again, is another area that people are just not sufficiently clear, aware of. Uh, But they perform their role quite well there. And um, these are the kinds of things that allow for Bush then to come in later with this lack of awareness and suggest that, well, it was the governor's fault and all these laws that hinder our ability to station troops. Well, now, um, that was then. And uh, they stayed on point. They uh, they included this provision within the uh, John Warner 2007 Defense Authorization Act. It was debated. It was rejected. It was opposed by the governor's association unanimously, sectors of the military. Bush signed it into law on October 17th, and it's now law. He can place these troops, you know, regardless as to the will of the states anywhere in the country.
0: I'm speaking with writer and researcher Frank Morales. Today's show... Bush moves toward martial law. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, you say that FEMA contracted with Blackwater before Hurricane Katrina hit. What was the reasoning for them to contract with Blackwater? Um, they didn't go ahead and say anything about uh, New Orleans. They couldn't have, right, because the hurricane hadn't yet hit.
1: Well, the thing is I'm not exactly sure of the timing there. It it's concurrent. FEMA contracted with Blackwater before any kind of disaster relief the guards people hit the ground. In other words, it was the first thing they did. But the only thing that they did in terms of direct response, you know, cuz we are familiar with the way in which they turned away Red Cross and basically participated in disorganizing any kind of effective response, humane response there. Early on, I'm not sure if it was concurrent with Katrina, you know, that they were a day or two away or was it was in the midst of, but right off the bat, the federal uh, government through FEMA, not a scintilla of, uh, of sympathy um, for those people who were, have been displaced. If FEMA sees to it that they remain dispersed um, under the heading of its incompetence and, um, and so on, but that's its job.
0: Well, exactly. I was just reading in the newspaper today that the entire uh, Lower Ninth Ward remains a ghost town. There's no one there. Now, yeah. as you've pointed out, why couldn't people have been relocated right into their own neighborhood right. in a trailer?
1: Yeah, it, it was. it's quite possible. You can house um, 150,000 uh, upwards of that in places like Iraq. You know, Halliburton and KBR and these others are quite good at... Uh, providing housing, food, uh, recreational areas, uh, and all that they need. And these are under conditions of, of insurgency, but they can't manage to do a similar feat uh, for our own people uh, with the willful neglect and, and, and the acquiescence to suffering that was going on there. It was an obscenity, and I think people saw that. Now they've kind of forgotten about it. You know, for that alone, this guy should be uh, brought up on uh, some kind of charges. To me, that we countenance this leadership, you know, they're beneath contempt, these people, and allow for the the killing and, and so on in, in Iraq and other places.
0: Now, you mentioned Senator Patrick Leahy from Vermont as being vocally opposed, most particularly to Section 1076, which you have discussed, Uh, in this new Defense Authorization Act of 2007. Were there any other objections from anyone else? Where are the Democrats on all of this?
1: I have not seen uh, anything. This information is out there. You try to track through news and try to see some mainstream. It's just not being reported other than Patrick Lay, and he has not said anything since the passage of the bill, since the, the Democratic victory. There's no one is talking about this. You know, I've seen this before. I mean, people, they don't want to face the fact that we're living in a police state in consolidation. This particular bill, this particular aspect of the bill, an answer specifically to your query has not been covered anywhere. We need to arouse public awareness that this move, this... um, When you're talking about a military dictatorship and what are the -the on-the-ground effects of that kind of uh, state of governance, well, this is one of them, Uh, the ability of the executive, you know, who's in control and out of control, to station troops anywhere he wants. Um, We need to create a movement around the country to demilitarize the police, demilitarize our judicial institutions both here and in Guantanamo. I mean, people have a right to face their accusers, to be presented with the evidence that's being used against them, or they need to be set free, period. Um, Any kind of backing up on that opens the door to, uh, whether we call it martial law, whether we call it uh, Nazism, whether we call it uh, a police state, fascism, um, authoritarianism, you know, when you have people like Bush pretending to, manifests uh, some kind of authority that then trickles down and, and everyone else feels that they can they can act in the same way that's what authoritarianism is it's well rudy giuliani said it's okay for the nypd to uh, to do this so these guys you know they they unload 41 shots at amadou diallo because it's, it's the word from above it's it's the sense that there's a continuum between that kind of behavior and the authority vested in the leadership And it's just a question now of galvanizing our opposition in a way that moves beyond the framework of the two-party system, because it's clear that the Democrats and the electoral system was a way to, in a sense, disenfranchise the anti-war movement. It kind of allowed for a certain thrust of opposition to be corralled, so to speak, within that context. And you know they take you for a ride. I've been around enough years to to know how this happens, but I think a lot of people who have come in in the last ten, fifteen years into the into the anti war movements see that as well until the American people, both its its troops, its police uh its citizenry, band together and say, "We're not going to dance to the tune of the corporate elite that uh, we're going to bond together and create an unstoppable force." Because when the workers and the workers within the military, the workers within the police, the working class around this country, those who are disenfranchised, the poor people, those who are oppressed mightily within the urban centers, um, when they start to get together and see the fact that there's a common enemy here, then the game is over. And we can begin to target those points of intervention that will slow this system down to such an extent that we create A constitutional crisis. We we create an opening. Um, I like to call it an apocalypse of peace. That we, you know, that that, yeah, there's an apocalypse coming, but it's 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 not the kind of apocalypse that the Christian right likes to tout. We're talking about an apocalypse of peace where we create a, a new arrangement. And if people think that's idealistic, I'd say idealism at this point is a requirement. We have to seek what heretofore we might have believed was it the impossible because the reality we're facing right now is catastrophe. It's catastrophe for, for humanity, for our own humanity. It's a catastrophe ecologically for this globe. Um, I think, you know, there's an awareness out there now that, uh, uh, the stakes are very high, not only for us, but most certainly for our, our children. And, uh, that the time is now to, uh, to end this and to draw, you know the breath and gather up the reserves that are required for for this push and i think it could be a final push i'm i'm an optimist and because i think i'm a realist as well and i think that the situation is so dour and so deep and so evil that the solution required is equally deep and uh that i think that this awareness particularly after this last election i think people now understand that we just can't put our faith in these these people. They're bought off, sold off, uh, panicked, afraid of being assassinated, who knows what. Um, we need to create alternative ways, whether or not we have to bring a couple of million people to, uh, to the Pentagon and stay there until we get a change. Uh, maybe July 4th, we have a movement that can put a couple of million people in, a, in the spirit of Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi and sit down at the Pentagon on the 4th of July and declare a new American revolution. And say we're not going until we get uh, you know this five hundred billion dollars from murder incorporated is going to end. It's time to bring back uh, you know good old fashioned values like caring for your neighbor, your neighbor down the block, your neighbor in Iraq. You know people want to want to lead in making war with a prince of peace. That's an obscenity. I mean, I say that as a priest. I don't think that uh, we can any longer stand, you know, the, this fraudulent leadership, this leadership that lacks all moral authority. Its authority derives strictly from its, uh, its chicanery, its secrecy, and its, its armaments, its force, its use of force, and, uh, you know, beguiling the people through its corporate media channels, which are now consolidated um, into the hands of a few. Um, you know, the, the proverbial blank is about to hit the fan. And I think if it, it's not this year, it's going to be next year. Maybe it's good, the time we roll around to the new elections. If we're, you know, we're not confused again with, the, the, you know, another set of, uh, of so-called Democratic hopefuls that turn out to be the same old thing. Wake up! We got to wake up. Um, fight locally, think globally. Uh, fight globally and think locally. I mean, it's 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 all part of one. And our movement, in the end. Um, is based on kind of uh, human empathy for for people everywhere. It's kind of a global soul. We need to feel in connection with our our neighbors everywhere. Um, everybody wants the same thing. They want the ability to lead a life where their not their lives are not violated, where they have enough to eat, where their children can run free and be happy, where there's uh, justice and caring nurturing and the use of natural resources, reverence for the earth. Um, Everyone wants this. It's a handful of people um, in various parts of this planet. Um, It's munitions industries that are allowed to uh, derive vast profits through the selling of uh, of machinery of death. It's what Eisenhower talked about, the symbiosis between armament sales and profit-making and armament sales and the rationalizations of, of the need for war based simply on the industrial requirements of selling armaments. Um, It's a pathology um, that we need to sort of uh, get to the bottom of and heal. I think the, the American people, the citizens of the world, are up to it. And we just need to continue to articulate our vision for the future, our ability to delineate the evil. We can't change what we don't see. We have to specify clearly what the issues are, figure out points of intervention. Put our shoulder to the wheel and I, I know that we can be uh, we can be successful.
0: Frank Morales, thank you.
1: Nice to be with you. There's something happening, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun
0: over there. I've been speaking with Frank Morales. Today's show has been Bush Moves Toward Martial Law. Frank Morales, in addition to being a writer and a researcher, is also a New York City Lower East Side housing activist and squatter and an Episcopal priest. He is author of such articles as Police State America, US Military Civil Disturbance Planning, and most recently, Bush Moves Toward Martial Law. He can be contacted by email at frm frm@panics.com. That's f r m at PANIX.com. Guns and Butter is edited and produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yaromako. Mako. To leave comments or order copies of the show, call 510 848 6767, extension 628. Email us at faulkner at gunsandbutter.net or visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.net. revolution which is the evolution of the mind if you seek then you shall find that we all come from the divine you dig what i'm saying For with a spirit sniper, trying to steal your life, you know what I'm saying, look what inside yourself, for peace, give thanks, live life, and release, you dig me, you got me,